Praying for 40 days straight at the Western Wall in Jerusalem is a famous Jewish practice. Many have made the pilgrimage to pray for marriage, income, children, or healing. Now you too can have a 40-day prayer. Western Wall Prayers will employ a full-time Torah student to pray on your behalf or on behalf of a loved one for 40 days straight at the Wall. If you need a special prayer, visit westernwallprayers.org. That's westernwallprayers.org. Welcome to all of you who love God, Torah, and Israel. This is Noahide Nations on Israel National Radio. I'm Jim Long, and on the other microphone, Mr. Ray Patterson. Hello, Ray. Hello, Jim. Very glad to be here as always. It's always a, a pleasure to be working with you. Thank you, sir. I, I like to tell people that at my age, uh, it's good to see you, and it's also good to be seen. So uh, <laughs> we're, we're all happy to be here every day, uh, Baruch Hashem. And if you tuned in last week, you got to, and we hope you did. And by the way, if you didn't tune in last week, the great thing about uh, the Israel National Radio format is that you can always go in and you can download or listen to previous shows because they are archived. And last week's show, which we're going to pick up and, and continue today, was a fascinating conversation with Rabbi Sander Goldberg. Rabbi, welcome back to the show. Thank you very much, Jim. My pleasure to be with you again. Rabbi, do you mind if we digress just a little bit? Because we, we want to get back to a fascinating discussion about uh, whether the the movement for B'nai Noach, the children of Noah, the Noahide uh, belief system is a religion and all the, the things that impact that. But, Ray, would you, uh, uh, if you will, sort of indulge me? Uh, I'm a fan of, of uh, Rabbi Goldberg's novels. And uh, do you mind if we ask you uh, a little bit about uh, your latest novel? I think it's called Lost Ten. It's it's a fascinating novel. Uh, it, Ten it, Lost. Pardon? Oh, Ten Lost. Yeah. Ten Lost. Right. What, uh, give us a quick thumbnail about that novel. Well, you, the the first novel that I uh, published was called Aleph Shin, or Samson's Lion, and um, Ten Lost is a prequel to that. So I really prefer that people read Aleph Shin before they read Ten Lost. But Ten Lost is a, a novel about uh, a character and his development um, and, uh, and how he um, succeeds in life. Um, uh, based on um, divine providence and uh, and his um, knowledge and intellect and skills that he develops along the way, and that's uh, basically what I would say about Ten Lost. It's a very fascinating novel because it, uh, it it's an odyssey which uh, goes from uh, uh, many parts of the world, covers many parts of the world, and ten, the word Ten Lost is a play on words. And he does get involved with the Ten Lost Tribes. Of course, it's a, it's a fictional scenario, but it is the book is quite a bit based on on many things from uh, Chazal and Midrashim. And um, well, that's I that's have, uh, that's what I wanted to point out. It uh, yeah. if you'll forgive me for using the analogy, 
it's it's a, a book that is enjoyable on the same level that some people enjoyed The Da Vinci Code because The Da Vinci Code was a narrative, uh, was a fictional narrative that, that, uh, that wove in uh, fascinating facts from history. Now, of course, some people would dispute those facts, but what I really enjoyed about this novel is that it, you're constantly being taught Torah, Midrash, and Talmud along the way. I mean, wouldn't you say that? Well, I tried, you know, and I have yeah. footnotes. It's a novel, but I did uh, make sure there were footnotes. The main reason I did the footnotes is because since I involved so many historical and uh, cultural and halachic uh, um, and uh, medrashic uh, sources, I wanted people to understand which things were fictional and which had a basis, a historical basis. Well, you do you do so very you, you do so very eloquently, and and you make it very entertaining. But yet, I found myself learning a, a, just a, a wealth of uh, facts and figures uh, uh, about uh, Judaism, and uh, uh, especially this this journey that this this protagonist takes. But uh, very quickly, where can they get the book if they want to buy uh, Ten Lost? It's available um, in Eretz Yisrael. It's distributed by Shanky's, which is a has a big store, but he's also a distributor. Um, it's available in England, um, in uh, London, in Golders Green at the uh, I think the name of the place is the uh, Jewish Book Center, and it's also available in Manchester. And then it's available uh, throughout the United States. It's in most uh, Orthodox Jewish bookstores. Uh, throughout the country, and it's available in um, Toronto, and Canada as well. Ray, I hope you forgive me that digression. And for those who for those who can't <laughs> can't um, find it, or they live in some place that's far away, uh, they can contact our website. Um, it's called tmspublishing.com, and there's a way uh, we'll help you to order it. Wonderful. Well, and that's a, a kind of a, a great segue to us doing a little housekeeping, and that's to uh, remind people that should you want to get more information about uh, Rabbi Sandra Goldberg and his book, you can contact us also, and we will be happy to forward it on to him. Sure. Uh, just send us an email at noahide, N-O-A-H-I-D-E, at israelnationalradio.com. And, uh, Rabbi, the, one of the beautiful things about radio is that we, we won't be able to see you blushing because I'm going to brag on you a little bit more for some folks who weren't with us last week. And, uh, that's to let folks know that, uh, Rabbi Sandra Goldberg is, is quite the expert in the area of our discussion, uh, today. Uh, he is, uh, a rabbi at a synagogue in, in Baltimore. Uh, he studied in Mir Yeshiva Central Institute in New York for 15 years and basically graduated with the equivalent of a Ph.D. Uh, he also sits on a rabbinic court, uh, a Beit Din, and he's also a judge in the Maryland tax court. So he's a very wise and knowledgeable man, and, and we are so glad uh, that he's taken the time to be with us for a second week. I, I know your schedule is, is difficult, and you know, I'd, I'd like to ask you a question that has been bothering me and bothers a great many uh, Noahides uh, in, in the world today, and that's Ray, kind of before going... you before you ask. And I just I just uh, wanted to mention one last thing about the book Ten Lost. Since sure, this sure. Is a program about the Noahide nations and about the Sheva Mitzvahs of Noah, the Seven Laws of Noah. I would like to just mention that in the book, Ten Lost, there is a scene, it's, a, it's an entire chapter, which uh, 
gets involved with the, it, it, it enumerates all of the seven mitzvahs of B'nai Noach. That, that chapter is a very interesting exchange between some of the characters in the book, not the main character, but some of the other characters of the book, with the, with the Dalai Lama. And um, they, they actually interview him. To, it's fictional, of course, but it's, uh, conceptually it, it could be uh, close to the truth. And they ask him different questions about whether he observes the seven mitzvahs of B'nai Noach. And uh, I think that's an extremely, well, some people have noted to me that that was one of their favorite parts of the book, was this whole chapter uh, with the exchange. It was actually between a group of uh, the Ten Lost Tribes and the Dalai Lama in Tibet yeah. uh, before he was expelled from, I, I from would, his I would, I would concur. I, it is one of my favorites, too. Well, Jim, you've been holding out on me. I was I was unaware of that. Uh, so, <laughs> well, we'll talk later. Uh, but anyway, uh, uh, Rabbi, one of the things that uh, uh, plagues uh, a lot of folks these days uh, is the this idea of what are Noahides supposed to do. And I know we touched on it last week, as far as you know, some observances and you know rituals, things like that. But in terms of the actual worship of Hashem, uh, would you have any recommendations uh, for the Noahide world out there? Well, the, my recommendation is, you see, as you mentioned, six of the seven Noahide laws are negative. Don't do this, don't uh, blaspheme, don't uh, commit, uh, worship idols, don't commit uh, adultery or murder. So they're, they're basically a negative code. It's a code in order to uh, ensure that society uh, remains civil and and, uh, and does not uh, go into chaos. Um, so a Noahide is not commanded to do positive uh, uh, precepts of uh, rituals and so forth, as we mentioned, but he may if he wishes and so forth. But as Rambam says, and as you mentioned, um, they have to be done, just the mitzvot, exactly as they're written in the Torah. He's not allowed to make up his own mitzvot, He's not allowed to make up his own ceremonies, his own rituals, and so forth. And that is the intention of the Rambam when the Rambam said that he's not allowed to make up. It doesn't mean a new religion. People translate dot as a religion, but that is a modern translation in modern Hebrew. The, uh, con- the, the concept of, uh, of, 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 of dot is a, um, means really a custom or a law or a practice, that is the real meaning of the word dot, like in the terminology of dot vidin, or kadat Moshe Vithro. It does not mean a whole religion with a whole 400-page manifesto. It means even one particular ceremony or anything, or anything that um, a person um, uh, might make up a practice. So... Uh, um, so when he does something, it has to be in accordance to a mitzvah of the Torah as a voluntary uh, activity, as we mentioned before. Not, it's not, he should understand that it's only voluntary, it's not, not obligatory upon him, and then he can do it as long as it's done correctly. Now, when it comes to uh, his service and so forth, so how should he pray? He should basically pray in the manner that uh, the Jewish people pray. He can um, he could say uh, uh, Tehillim. Most of our prayers are composed from the Tehillim in any case, and so, um, so, um, so, 
So, uh, therefore, um, that would be a prescribed way that he could do it. I'm sure that there are many Tehillim that you could pick out that are very apropos for, uh, uh, you know, that might mention something that uh, would appeal personally to a a Ben Noah. Rabbi Goldberg, this brings us to a a discussion or a point of the discussion. And by the way, if you've just joined us, uh, you're listening to Noahide Nations on Israel National Radio. We're talking Ray Patterson and myself with Rabbi Sandra Goldberg. Rabbi, the thing that I most encounter, or the aspect that I most encounter in this particular question, the great question that Ray just asked about observances and about uh, uh, not wanting to create new rituals, is in the area of uh, Benenoak weddings. And I have been to uh, uh, several Benenoak weddings. Uh, I myself had a Benenoak wedding. And uh, I was at one this summer recently, and it's the question that always comes up. And I and I think that, and of course, it's a, it's a kind of a hot button issue. Uh, for instance, I, and I think what people fail to distinguish is that there is a part of the ceremony where you are standing before the Creator, and that you, since you are uh, invoking the presence of Hashem, that there are only certain things you are supposed to do. And that anything else after that, you separate it, and it is what I would, I don't know what you'd call a, a civil part of the celebration of marriage. Uh, for instance, I mean, a, a birthday celebration is not a, a, a spiritual celebration. At least I don't, uh, at least at my age, it's not. But <laughs> uh, the point is, is it's something you don't, it's, there's no halakhic impact for celebrating your birthday. So it's pretty much open to what you want to do, except that you wouldn't want to, uh, the mistake would be to, to turn a birthday celebration into some sort of Noahide mandated celebration. So what I'm saying is, when you have a wedding ceremony, could you sort of outline for us, for instance, the what Hashem says, okay, this is the way a Noahide should marry, and everything after that should be at the reception, so to speak. Is is that clear? Am I making myself clear in that? Yes, you're making yourself clear, and I agree with that 100%. He, uh, a Noahide, uh, the, the, the Rambam explains what marriage is uh, for uh, Gentiles, not just Noahides, but for any non-Jew, and it is when the... Um, man and the woman both, they mutually agree, both parties have to agree, to uh, live a life where they're exclusively uh, married to each other and they don't have other partners, um, and uh, at least the woman not. Um, and a man is allowed, even a non-Jewish man would be allowed to marry more than one wife, but Again, it would have to be with her agreement. I think that's. A, I think that's a. That, yeah, I think that that's a contractual a, obligation. But, Rabbi, I think that's a whole other show right there. Right. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but the, the there is the ceremony is if they want to have a ceremony and they don't have to have a ceremony, but we do, like you said we don't want to get involved with new new customs, new laws, and stuff like that, um, where they uh, can have a reception. The reception part has, has there's no religious uh, um, there's no religious overtones to it whatsoever. It's just showing their happiness at being together. There's nothing wrong with that. That's not a religious that's not a religious practice. That is just in order that the couple should be happy. Should start out their marriage by showing uh, their friends and family that they're happy together, and and they and their happiness is increased when uh, other people are show them that they're happy for them. 
So that is what the uh, reception, the marriage reception is, with his music and dancing and so forth. There's no problem with that whatsoever. As far as the ceremony goes, it is interesting to note that um, the chuppah concept was not only exclusive only for Jewish people. It is um, they. Um, it seems as though that the uh, Gentiles uh, can have a chuppah as well. Now that is a practice that's done in Judaism. It's not something that somebody makes up. So to have a chuppah, it would be okay. During the uh, course of the ceremony, it's not necessary for uh, a, 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 the man to give the woman a ring. It's totally unnecessary because the commitments that they make are oral. Those are the basis of the of the commitments. If they want to give each other gifts, and they understand that it's not part of a ceremony, it's just a matter of giving gifts uh, out of uh, uh, being happy with each other, then that's, that's also fine. Um, it doesn't have to be done in public. It can be, or it could not be. It doesn't matter. But um, it shouldn't be made into a ceremony. So basically, all they have to do, if they want it to be public, and it's not necessary, is to make the commitment to each other under a chuppah, they do not need uh, to have special witnesses. They do not need a rabbi. They don't need wine. They don't need anything like that. They should just um, say to each other, or if they want to have somebody uh, ask them the question, as is done by a justice of the peace or something like that, do you take each other to uh, marriage? And, and, you know, the whole thing is to commit to each other, to, to, be, uh, to be kind to each other, to help each other in need, so forth. That's all fine. There's no so, problem with that. Rabbi Goldberg, so to be clear, a, a, a Noahide wedding could be could be uh, conducted in this way. For instance, a couple, they go to, because, because of course, uh, the commandment to set up courts of justice, uh, we would want to follow that by going to a, 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 the county and getting a, a legal uh, a marriage license. But, of course, that is not, that's not religious. So the couple gets a marriage license, and then... Uh, but here's the part I'm a little bit confused about. Uh, under under a uh, under the, the Torah purview of of marriage for non-Jews and for for Noahides, don't they then have to make a declaration before uh, witnesses or in public that they intend to be married, or simply before God? Just before God. Before God. That's int- I'd never. Okay. I never heard that before because uh, it was interesting. I was asked to officiate in a ceremony last summer, and um, I, I went, at one point I asked the couple to to turn around and to declare their intent to be man and wife to the crowd. And everybody thought that was very unique and very interesting. But I, I was sort of on shaky ground because I I thought that they had to make that com- that commitment in public. And we did stand under a chuppah, by the way. Which was very, uh, you know, it was very nice. So basically, uh, uh, Noahides uh, simply can get their marriage license, and they could simply go. Um, so they don't have to stand before witnesses after they've gotten the marriage no, license. They do not have to stand before witnesses. They just declare before each other they want to live as man and wife. And once that declaration is made, and they both agree to that, they go home. But and of course the other thing is they have to and, and not to be too indelicate here the other aspect of it is is that they they all also must consummate the marriage also right that's correct okay. the, the marriage is not in effect until they consummate it even though the agreements are in effect but they uh, the agreements the agreements have been made but they don't go into effect 
um, legal effect according to the laws of the seven mitzvahs of, of Noah until they've consummated the marriage. But, but right after they consummated the marriage, yeah. they're considered married. And then if a man were to have a, uh, you know, if they were to uh, be in, uh, commit acts of infidelity, um, they uh, would be liable according to the seven laws of Noah after that point. Right? But to make this clear, for all those potential moms and dads out there who, who want their kids married in an Ohio way, it's okay to have that big bash after they do that. But there is a separation, isn't there? The, the well, big... I was, <laughs> was going to say, Jim, just sitting here listening to this, I'm, I'm thinking, you know, the way Rabbi Goldberg's describing it, that might be okay for a man, yeah. but you will <laughs> never get it by the woman. It's not going to happen. So, <laughs> but I mean, the point isn't that the point, Rabbi, that 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 the 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 cake and the all of that, the hoopla that goes along with it, that should be separate. That should be held for the reception, but the uh, the, the the particular act of getting married can be done. Uh, that, you, that we can separate that, right? Am I not wrong? Oh, you mean have it on a different day? Well, even have it a few minutes later. But but there's no. For instance, there there would be no there would be no uh, calling upon Hashem at the reception and that type of thing and and making no, that as no. part of the ceremony. No, no, no. Sure, they separate it. They go out for the pictures to get yeah. the photographer. <laughs> sure. So that no. second phase is not a religious phase. Exactly. No, it's not a religious phase. Even in Judaism, it's not although, a religious phase. Although I know some wedding photographers. You do. You do. You make people happy. They're getting wedding. It's a, it's a very nice thing to make people happy uh, when they get married. Let them remember that happiness for the rest of their lives. That's well, the, the thing I bring it up is because I know a lot of dads will be relieved to hear that. No, hi, dads, but I don't know that mom would be. So we want to make all these things perfectly clear to everybody. And, uh, Rabbi, we have to take a break coming up, and I apologize, because, but that's the way we... Uh, that's the way the broadcast and the Internet world works. And we are having a fascinating and delightful conversation with author and expert uh, Rabbi Sander Goldberg about uh, Noahides and, and the B'nai Noach movement and whether it's a religion. And we'll continue this conversation coming up right after the break. You're listening to Noahide Nations right here on IsraelNationalRadio.com. Mike from Washington, D.C. I started to have prostate problems about 10 years ago. I had to get up four or five times a night and it left me tired all day. 
I work in the legal field and I couldn't sit for more than an hour before having to ask for a recess. After taking the optimal product for a month, my symptoms almost disappeared. I can't tell you how happy I am to have found this product. Apuntima capsules made only in Israel. Go now to www.preso.com. That's P-R-I-S-S-O.com. Aleph Shin, the number one best-selling Jewish techno-thriller novel, was unique for the Jewish market in excitement, imagination, and inspiration. Now, Ten Lost, the prequel to Aleph Shin, is author Sender Zev's latest literary masterpiece. It reveals the mind-boggling background of the awesome tale of Aleph Shin, available at Jewish bookstores throughout the United States, England, and Israel. See the ad on Israel National Radio or check out the website at www.tmspublishing.com. Welcome back. You're listening to Noahide Nations here on Israel National Radio. Truly blessed by having a wonderful discussion with Rabbi Sander Goldberg on the topic of whether being a Noahide or Noahidism is a religion or is it not. And we've had a lot of uh, remarkable questions and even more remarkable answers. And uh, 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 last segment, we were talking about the Noahide wedding. And and Rabbi, I I know that there's some uh, specific things regarding funerals as well. In fact, I spoke with my rabbi about this uh, because my wife and I, when we're talking about when that day comes, and it comes for all of us, uh, how we should, because uh, we were thinking about being cremated, quite frankly. And in a rather lengthy and deep discussion with my rabbi, I, he, I was informed that, oh, no, 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 you, you need to be buried. Uh, do you see it the same way in, in, in terms of the, uh, the whole funeral and, and burial process for a Noahide? Yes, yes. A human being needs to be buried. He comes from dust, he shall return to dust. It doesn't say return to ashes. It says return to dust. So um, it's definitely true that um, that the that God's will for a human being is, after he's deceased is to be buried in the ground. That's correct. Okay. Well, one of the things I wanted to mention to kind of coincide with this whole wedding and uh, funeral, uh, you know, and all the aspects uh, uh, secularly about this, there have been a couple of, uh, shall I dare say, uh, Noahide Sadurs put out there. And they include uh, uh, blessings uh, of all types. They include an actual wedding ceremony, a funeral, and uh, just you know, many, many chapters that we, as Noahides, allegedly uh, can use as part of our uh, worship. And what, what I'm concerned about is whether or not this, in fact, wasn't, 
creating a new religion by providing this to Noahides as a means uh, or not necessarily a mandate. They don't say that it's mandated, but I'm just curious, you know, this whole uh, shouldn't do or go ahead and do uh, a part the, for, you know, for the Noahides is very difficult sometimes. And I'm just wondering, does that put us in a situation of creating a new religion by following a guide? Well, it is a, it is a good question. And I want you to know that uh, there were great rabbis, you know, and, uh, at the time of the Shulchan Aruch, the Code of Jewish Law, uh, about 500 years ago, who also objected to uh, codifying Judaism. Uh, they, they, they felt that it wasn't uh, the right way to go about it. But, um, and, and in theory, they're right, because Judaism is supposed to be a living religion, and once you write something down and you codify it, and if that becomes the... Uh, the strict uh, custom uh, that sort of stratifies things, and um, uh, it, it's no different for uh, for for Noahide as well. Now, I would say that the, the, the rabbis, the majority of rabbis, held that it was proper to codify, because otherwise uh, things, you know, they would go in a hundred different directions, and there would be no cohesion of the Jewish uh, people, and. Um, and, and, and perhaps certain important aspects would get lost altogether if they weren't written down, especially since the Jews were in exile. So I would say that the same thing would apply by Noahides as well. The, the, the main thing is to follow what the Rambam says as strictly as possible to make sure that, that the things that are adapted are totally based and formulated according to the way that the Torah and the Jewish people do it. As long as it's like that, I, I don't see a problem. In other words, as long as the prayers are from the Tehillim, it could be different Tehillim, um, I don't see a problem with that. And uh, as long as the ceremony or whatever's done by a wedding, um, uh, for example, having a chuppah and, and doing publicly declaring their intentions to marry each other, I don't see a problem with that. Um, you know, if they start making up new kinds of things, then that would be a different, uh, that would be a big problem. And also, like you said, if, if it's also not clear from this sitter or this uh, guidebook that it is a, it's, it's a suggested way to do it, um, then, uh, then I don't see a problem. As long as those things are, are, are done, those two aspects are clear are made absolutely clear that it's only suggested that it's not uh, obligatory and that uh, it conforms to the way that the Torah Torah Judaism uh, prescribes these things then I uh, I don't see a problem we're having okay, a wonderful conversation. I'm sorry, Ray. Uh, I was just going to interject here that we're having a conversation with Rabbi Sander Goldberg. I'm Jim Long, uh, Ray Pedersen on the other microphone. And I wanted, Ray, if you don't, if you permit me, I wanted to bring up something that uh, will probably uh, cause and uh, engender uh, a lot more debate. Uh, and we may not even be able to solve the question on this show. But there is, uh, I, I wanted to specifically ask Rabbi Goldberg, because Rabbi, aren't you a shochet? A, are you not trained as a, a ritual slaughterer? Yes, I am. Okay. The reason I want people to know that is because the uh, there is a controversy I found uh, among Noahides and, and also uh, f- some of our rabbinical advisors um, as to the idea of keeping the law of Evermin Chai, or as we say in English, eating the limb of a living animal. 
And I've heard two sides of this, and I hope we have time maybe to address it on the show today. The idea being that because of the way that uh, meat is slaughtered in this country today, uh, we are, a, a null hide is in danger of trespassing against the the mitzvah, the law against eating the limb of a living animal. But I understand that you're very familiar with uh, practices of slaughter in this country. Uh, would you say that we're in danger of that, or should we be should be we be mandating strict stricter laws for our meat uh, processing? First of all, Jim, I think you should explain to the listening audience specifically why it would be possibly there's a possibility of uh, the meat, the, you know, in supermarket, non-kosher meat, being Avram and Achai. Well, I would Can say that... Explain the, what the specific is. The, the possibility that, for instance, uh, an animal would be slaughtered and it would be cut up, uh, and it would still be alive while it's being cut up. This is what has been explained to me, that it literally right. would be going through the pain uh, of, of literally being cut up alive. Okay, I, I I don't believe that that is 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 a uh, a legitimate uh, concern. That's my opinion. From having worked in slaughterhouses as a shochet, uh, I've seen how the gentiles slaughter the animals. They um, definitely stun at first. Now, depending on what kind of animal it is, the larger animals they usually shoot it in the head. I hope I'm not being too graphic for your listeners. I don't think uh, so. With a, uh, a gun that shoots uh, sort of like a stainless steel pin. And the um, some of the other animals uh, that they uh, would like to get out, get the blood out of them. The, see, the, the animals that they, with red meat, they like to keep the blood in as much as possible. So after this, the animal dies, when the blood pressure drops down to zero, so that whatever blood is absorbed in the meat will stay there. And uh, so therefore, they don't want to um, cut it until it is completely dead. So that's, that's, a, that's a reason to believe that uh, certainly from beef, which is uh, red meat, uh, that, it, that you're not going to have the problem that you described because it's a desirability on the part of the, um, the meat industry to uh, make sure that the animal is completely dead there's total cessation of uh, pressure, blood pressure, and movement of the blood, so that it stays in the meat. So therefore, um, they they uh, typically will shoot it. And by the it does, of course, all animals after they are slaughtered or, or killed, you know, there are certain movements of the limbs, you know, there are reflexive movements, which according to halacha, for a bendoach, is considered still alive as long as it's moving. The cessation of movement is the definition of when it is considered properly, sufficiently um, deceased for a Noahide to then go ahead and, and right. dismember the animal for consumption. So um, due to the factor that they want the meat to be red, they are definitely not, they do not start to uh, dismember that meat until long, long after it is dead. Uh, first of all, uh, in animals like that, they take off the skin before they start to dismember it. It takes time. The animal, after it's been stunned or, or, or killed and slaughtered in some manner, uh, maybe it, it continues to move around for maybe five minutes. That's about it. It has reflexive actions, five minutes, seven minutes, not more than that. But by the time it gets around on the production line to where they're actually cutting it up is a long time after that. So I, 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 don't, I don't perceive that there's any problem with that whatsoever. 
Well, this is a this is a very interesting subject because I've uh, often had people put this to me, and I say, well, I have talked to. Uh, in fact, I even cited your uh, conversation you and I had about it, and I said, well, as far as uh, I, I talked to a person who is a shokit and he's seen the slaughterhouse practices. And so I don't think we would be breaking Evermen Chai. Of course, I have friends in Texas that break it because they consume another type of what they call delicacy. But we won't go into that on today's show. Okay. But, uh, in, fact, in, <laughs> in fact, this whole discussion has just prompted me to not go to lunch at Burger King. I mean, maybe, maybe I'll just have a, a can of soup. Um, <laughs> but, I, Rabbi, I wanted to uh, check with you on a, another interesting and highly discussed and oftentimes controversial uh, subject, and that is of Noahide's gathering, Noahide's uh, uh, assembling uh, for the purpose, well, it could be for many purposes, uh, uh, you know, just a fellowship or maybe just to get together for an evening of prayer or uh, a, a study on the Parsha for that week. Uh, do you see anything that is in violation of Torah in Noahide's gathering and, and assembling on a regular basis? I see, I see a problem. I'm not saying a violation. I see a problem with it. But on the other hand, I believe in the last analysis that you have to do it. The problem is that um, theoretically, like I mentioned uh, perhaps in the last program, the Jewish people are the nation of priests. Uh, we minister to the world. Uh, if if, if a, an honest Gentile like all the Noahides want to study and know the word of God and Torah, so they come to the rabbis and the Jewish people and, and take uh, sources, smart scroll, things like that, in order to learn. So, um, as long as, the, ideally, Noahides, and I, I've mentioned this to friends of mine who are rabbis um, in, in places like Tennessee and Texas, and where there are more Noahides than in other places, seemingly, um, that they should include the Noahides in their, in their congregation. They should have a special membership or status for them so they can join. That way, the Noahide will not need to make his own group. You know, I mean, they can socialize on their own, but but they, in terms of their religious affiliation, let them come to the synagogues and, and sit somewhere, you know, and, and, and hear the sermon and, and, and participate in some of the classes which are geared for, which has knowledge which is geared for them, for example, any, any class which talks about uh, the outlook of God and theology and so forth, because Malachites have to believe exactly the same theology. As, as regular Jews. Uh, certainly, if there's a class about how to keep Shabbos and so forth, they probably shouldn't go to that. But um, uh, that, that would be, in my opinion, the ideal uh, structure. But it's not practical, because there are many that live in towns where there are no Orthodox in New York, and I would not recommend them to go to Reformed or Conservative. They're better off not doing that than doing that. Um, and uh, so it's inevitable. A, a human being is a social animal. He wants to have a group and so forth. The danger is that when the group is isolated um, or is remote from um, from from proper um, guidance and leadership, that they could possibly, um, because of their spirituality and their desire to serve God, uh, they could go off in a direction which they should not be going without that guidance. Rabbi and, Goldberg. And by having uh, their own group, they reinforce each other. So that that could be a problem. 
But in the last analysis, it's, I think it's better that they should make groups because otherwise, you know, there's just not going to be, there's going to be an individual here and there. But uh, it is, I think that it's very praiseworthy that you have a group and, and that um, you can teach the Christians the truth. Why should they? <laughs> you know, you have friends and relatives, and there's nothing wrong with missionarizing to them to get them away from the uh, false beliefs that they've been raised with. We're talking with Rabbi Sander Goldberg. Uh, he is a rabbinical, uh, he's a teacher. Uh, he is an expert in several uh, uh, fields in, in Judaism, a shokit. Uh, he's also a uh, on a Beit Din, which is a rabbinical court. Um, what would you say to that person, Rabbi Goldberg, that that has a dispute with another Noahide? And uh, I, I have a, I've had my own answer for this, but I'd like to hear yours. And uh, the, I've had people suggest that, well, we need to set up a, a Noahide court for a dispute. And I have told them, well, we have Noahide courts. It's, it's called the U.S. justice system. Would you agree with that characterization or, or not? Well, um, I think that the, in the U.S. justice system or that of England or of any other civilized country is probably probably falls within the purview of uh, of dinim of the justice system according to the laws of Noah, uh, but uh, it, it's quite selective. It's like, <laughs> unfortunately, in all courts you have uh, judges that are honest according to the law, and you have ones that are that don't do things properly and yeah. or they discriminate. And so it's it, you know it's hard to say. Uh, I'd say that. Uh, uh, on the, certainly on the level of small claims court, uh, it's it's pretty good here yeah. in the United States. Well, know, Ray, and I when wanted you get to... to the big cases, then you have to worry. But in the two-bit cases, you don't really have to worry sure. so much. Well, well, I wanted to point out to Ray, before because I, and I wanted to add to that, too, that I uh, even though I, I like to characterize the fact that we have set up courts of justice, th- I'd also like to point out that I, I also believe that we need to return to the spirit of the original seven laws that our founding fathers recognized. For instance, and I'll just put this out here, uh, the fact that homosexuality is gaining ground as acceptable legally in this country is cause for alarm. And so uh, I think Ray would agree with me that we do need, as Noahides, to do what we can through the elective and judicial process to return to the observance of those seven laws because obviously... Uh, homosexuality comes under the uh, the negative commandment against sexual immorality, right? Right. In fact, uh, Hashem even considers it uh, an abomination. So I think this whole idea of separation of church and state has uh, uh, taken over the ruling body. Um, so I think what we need to do is have the, uh, bring that back together uh, and, and bring Torah into our society and society to Torah. Uh, would you Would you agree with that, Rabbi? Yeah, I uh, I agree with it. But as a matter of fact, I, I'm, I'm writing a new book, um, which um, I don't have any idea when it's going to be ready. It's not a novel. It is a a very deep philosophy of uh, of Judaism and the world and and how it relates to the world. And I have a chapter in the book dedicated. Uh, well, it's about the um, it's about the homosexual rights movement. You know, we're not I'm not I'm not concerned that much about the uh, 
particular prohibitions. I'm talking more about what what it, what it has done to the society. You oh. know, until about 30 years ago, um, the mental health uh, um, community, psychologists, psychiatrists, considered homosexuality a deviant behavior. They considered it an abnormality. And then all of a sudden, it was removed from the list of abnormalities, and now it's considered a normal state that does not require or does not even warrant any kind of treatment. So that is a completely political decision. It is not a scientific position. It's not a scientific decision. It's a political decision because of the influences of, of many in the, um, who have formulated a homosexual community, which really should not exist. They shouldn't have a community. Yeah. It shouldn't be right. recognized. We but, have. Um, so, oh, I'm so sorry. that is a matter that that Noahides, Jews, Christians, any moral people, should get up in arms about and try right. to reverse. There were laws on the books, and these were not religious laws. They were not because of religion of why homosexuality was considered. It was considered a problem because it was recognized to be a, a dangerous deviation to society. And you don't have to come on to the fact that that God. Um, um, has commanded us against it, and that's true that God has commanded us against it. But, but besides that, there's a, there's a many many ethical issues involved in, in uh, that, Rabbi, that should be raised by a secular society as well. Would you uh, would you be a guest again with us on No Hide Nations? Anytime, Jim and Ray. You know, I'm, we're buddies, Wonderful. and I'm willing to come on your program anytime you want. Well, the reason I, I say that is because we have less than uh, 60 seconds to say goodbye to you, and thank you for being on. So I'm going to say right now, Rabbi, great to talk to you. We want to see you here again on Noahide Nations. Uh, hope you join us again, okay? Sure. All right. And, and thank you, Rabbi. I appreciate you being here as well, and I know the listeners got a, a great deal of information and knowledge from you. So uh, thank you very kindly. We look forward to, to being with you again. All the best. Right. Well, Jim, that was a great uh, uh, second segment, and my gosh, we could probably do them week after week. But unfortunately for this week, we're going to have to uh, step out of the way and, and let another show come in. So my name is Ray Patterson, my wonderful co-host, Jim Long. We appreciate all of you being with us. And until next week, please always remember to look to the heavens for Hashem and his help. Because, my friends... Hashem is always looking out for you. So until next week, Shavua Tov. Jim, Shavua Tov. Shavua Tov, Ray. You've been listening to Noahide Nations right here on IsraelNationalRadio.com.
With Passover approaching, Tour Plus is offering the English-speaking public a fantastic experience in Israel's leading hotels. Tour Plus has an excellent reputation. We pay special attention to kashrut standards, providing glat mahadrin kosher food and shmur matzah in each hotel. Visit us online at www.tourplus.co.il and click on the English button at the top. That's www.tourplus.co.il. Tour Plus for the complete vacation. Cut down on time at the airport. Introducing the ultimate airport experience by Menasha Sofair's Airport Service. It's the first of its kind. The VIP Meet and Assist Shuttle guarantees a completely stress-free traveling experience to and from Ben Gurion International Airport. Online at msofairairport.com. Tell them you heard about it on Israel National Radio. Menasha Sofair Airport Travel, Speed and Service. M S O P H E R Airport.com. 